Adrian, Tony, what's the crack? Hey, how's it going, Pat? Hiya, Pat. Still soldiering on with the playing the records game, are Jeez. Oh, what's the name of the show today? Mostalgia. 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 Ah, oh, I see what you're doing about that there, hey? Ah, 1986 now, I remember it well. I was working on the wool. Had the yellow beetle with the disco lights along inside the dash. Two or three women on the go as well there at the same time. One out the Laraway, the other up over in Green Anne. Jay's lads, the petrol is costing a fortune. Never mind the Johnnies. Ah, <laughs> oh, sick fucker. Ah, uh, happy days though. Show me your set list there, lads. I heard lots of classics from 1986. We've got Europe, uh, Bon Jovi, uh, Iron uh, Maiden. Never heard of half of them. I oh, know that one though. Shite. Don't talk about Saxon like that. And why are you playing that one? Sounds like two skeletons riding on a tin roof. Here, look, sure, I'll do you a favour. Patch your desk yoke up to my tune one here next door and I'll knock you out some better versions. Won't take oh, me more than half an hour. Appreciate that. Thanks, thanks, but that'd be great, actually. It's an honour working we'll with you, We'll sort out the payments later, though. Uh, you're only messing, obviously. You may throw in a few double diamonds. Now, thanks for the free <laughs> contribution yeah, yeah. to our show, Pa. Right, so, I'll get the guitar down and plug her in. Yeah, 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 you do that. we at least two tapes down the Colin Bridge. Yes, the weekend is finally here. I'm Adrian Byrne and this is Tony Wilson. Hello. Welcome to the Friday Rock Show. <laughs> this time it's going to be a little different as we enjoy a little nostalgia and take a trip down memory lane back oh. to the 80s oh. and 1986. 86. Upcoming are all 1986 tunes from Ozzy Osbourne, Judas Priest, Run DMC and Kenny Loggins. Oh. Also featured are Bon Jovi, Dave Lee Roth, Saxon, Megadeth and Iron Maiden. Yeah. Our old friend Pat Chalkinsey is in the studio next door recording his brand new album and has agreed to perform his exclusive versions of songs from 1986. So throw in some of your usual emails and prepare yourself to enter a time warp. This one's a special request for all the uh, killers in the community. Uh, oh, Pat. Go on, Pat, you go take. This one's uh, for them. What do you mean I don't believe in God? I talk to him every day. What do you mean I don't support your system? I go to court when I have to. What do you mean I can't get to work on time? Valley free. Got nothing better to do. Time go fishing. And what do you mean I don't pay my bills? Why do you think I haven't got any money? Huh? If there's another way I'll be the first in line
Boy, peace. Yes, make it there from 1986. Peace sells, but who's buying? From, from the, the album. album of the same name. Yeah, you are. That's it. That's why we play you the big box, AJ. And it's still a part of their live show today. <laughs> yes. You've been reading it. up on the internet again. No, no. Been seeing Megadeth. And they're still playing it. Are they? Yeah. What else should they play? Uh, Rust in Peace. Countdown to Extinction. Ah, oh, yeah. So you're basically saying they play nothing after 1994. Ah, they play all the new stuff, but I don't know what that is. <laughs> You go for a point during that, that, those pieces come back for the good songs. <laughs> now in the three arena, you head for the bar. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, y'all. Yeah, so this is the Friday Rock Show Moshtalgia Special. We're playing all of the songs from one specific year, 1986. Why are we doing that? Um, because we can, and it was great music that year. So let's uh, let's give it up for 1986. Well, actually, no, you have to tell the listeners the real reason why we wanted to do this. Because, you know, when we started off on the show in 1987, we wanted to go back before we were around to really kind of feel the music as it came out at the right time then. Yeah, so we're, going, we're, going, we're really going back here. So this is before our inception, even. Does it? Well, not our real inception, but the inception of the Friday Rock Show. Exactly. I remember having the Megadeth patch. It was like yesterday. Didn't yeah. the friendly arse rip it open, though? Ah. It was out some jealousy or something. I can't remember, though. He was jealous but of Vic Rattlehead. That's it. That's all Didn't it like him looking at him when he was walking behind you. <laughs> was making paranoid. You wouldn't let him walk beside you. No. You said you had to walk no. behind you. And exactly. actually, he took him to life exactly. and he ripped the fucking back off you. Exactly. Listen, 1986. What happened that year? Loads! <laughs> Let's talk about the world events of 1986. In 1986... Well, not too much now. We don't want to bore the listeners. They're here for the show. They're here for the show. Listen, they're here for some education as well as some good music tonight. <laughs> In 1986, the American Space Shuttle Challenger explodes seconds after liftoff in Florida. Did it really know? There's lads on the internet oh, now. It looks first the same as the, the lads that were on the, the Challenger. And they're still alive. I subscribe to AboveSecret.com and I was reading what Tucker had to say. Oh, Tucker. We have some uh, email from Tucker later. <laughs> the Swedish Prime Minister Olaf Palme is shot in the street. <laughs> I don't know what part of his body the street is, but he was shot. <laughs> <laughs> I bet that hurt him when he was shot in the street. <laughs> the street. Uh, America launches airstrikes against Libya. Oh, was that against Gaddafi? I don't know where the bombing. They're always bombing someone. Different time, same shit. Uh, Soviet reactor in Chernobyl melts down and leaks radiation. That's why we've all got five heads and three Mickeys. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Statue of Liberty celebrated its 100th anniversary and Halley's Comet appeared not for well, the first like it reappeared not I for the first was, time no no, no it no. had been here it had been worked out by Edmund Halley himself like so I remember at the time I only had to be alive for another 76 years to see it again so we must be getting close again to Halley's Comet so is it Jew again is it it is Jew okay so uh, we'll be looking back at more interesting facts and figures of 1986 later on in the show but, but now first, it's the email <laughs> Email her! Jagger! Peace be with you, lads. 
As I drew in another sweet lungful, I could hear the sirens in the distance cutting through the night air. What's wrong with you? What are you laughing at? It's a dagger. He just puts me in a good mood every time I hear him. It's a remarkable effect he has. My lungs had no more strength and there was blood and wool fibre under my nails. I probably had a few cracked ribs. You may be wondering how your old pal Jagger ended up in such a state again. And exactly what happened after my last contact with you. Well, let me tell you. <laughs> it turns out that a cocktail of marijuana, antidepressants and concussion had me hallucinating the flat about taking on the identity of a vigilante called the Scourge and making sinners pay. A late night horror show on TV might have subconsciously influenced me too. I don't know. <laughs> As it slowly dawned on me that I had not murdered anyone and the trauma subsided, I came to the conclusion that maybe the world did need a scourge. Did you not beg the toy of some lad with a baseball bat though? It was all a dream. Ah, oh, was it? Yeah. The town I lived in was full of sexual deviants, drug takers, adulterers and greedy capitalist pigs. Facebook was full of smug narcissists and the scourge could take them down a peg or two. Sure, it's not as if I had anything better to do, right? I decided to make a few adjustments to the costume. I sprayed the GAA helmet black for no other reason than that it looked cool. I added on a tool belt where I could hang a few weapons. To be effective, I had to remove myself from my self-imposed exile and start being integrating myself with other people. I don't want to do that. Start getting the local gossip and dirt. I got back on speaking terms with my mother again. I bought her a couple of cute puppies. You can always rely on your mother to forgive you no matter what you've done. As we sat in our kitchen on Tuesday afternoon over a cup of tea and some Kimberly Mikados, she brought up rumours of a strange cult which had started in the town. These guys were fetishists who held secret gatherings where they would indulge in perversions with bull. <laughs> My mother screwed up her nose and called them sickos as she took another sip of tea. This was not yet a job for the scourge, but would require some detective work by myself. There was a small local clothing shop which sold things like school jumpers, iron knitwear and knitting supplies. It was winter, so it would not be unusual for a man such as me to be seeking a fashionable bobble hat to keep warm. Bobble hat! Just like the one you wear, Tony. Sorry, hang on! But you're not. You've, you've jinxed the whole thing. It's on my head. <laughs> no one saw nothing. As the lady guided me through her selection, I dropped into the conversation a question as to whether there had been any big runs on wool yarns these days. Oh! She replied. Yarns of wool is still a great seller. Only last week I had a huge order from one of the teachers in the local secondary school. That is interesting, I said to her. I used to go to that school. I wonder if it was anyone I knew. Then I got the name. Mr. Tash, the geography teacher. She said. In the guise of the scourge, I staked out his house. Nothing of note happened for many nights. All I discovered was he was a creature of habit. Each evening he came home, fed the cat and kicks it out the door. He would then take the times and go for a poo. The big windows then. <laughs> He would average about 10 minutes. And you sat there for every one of them. Every night at half nine, he would retire to bed and all I could hear was the click clacking of needles until half ten. What kind of needles? Then on the Thursday night, he finally left the house and packed the car, setting off for destinations unknown. I hurriedly grabbed my bike and set chase after Tasha's car, but couldn't keep pace with his car for too long. But luckily for me, he had not gone far. His car was parked outside the rented flats at the edge of the town, adjacent to the bank. I stashed my bike and started to sneak around. The flats seemed to be in darkness, but upon a gentle push, the front door was ajar. The stairwell was lit only by candlelight. Upstairs, I could hear chanting. Chanting? I sensed evil, and a wave of adrenaline washed over me as the thrill of the scourge was approaching. Oh no, it's like Bill Bigsby. Through a crack in the door, I saw several figures in a semicircle chanting. 
In the candlelight, we could just make out that these three shadowy figures were all dressed head to toe in wool. Oh no, it's not them lads, is it? What kind of sick perversity was I witnessing? A Land Rover pulled up outside. It was Farmer Eric's. There was a horse box attached. From the shadows, I observed him taking the sheep from it and walking the sheep inside and up the stairs with a lead. A paper crown and a high-vis jacket was placed on it as some form of regalia. The chants continued. The realisation dawned on me that they were worshipping a false deity. The wool master. The chants became faster, more intense. The sheep began to baa and one of the worshippers in a crotchless woolen suit started slapping his mickey around and spitting in a fervour. It's it's, it's so lads from when we had that show about them. Yeah. (laughs) My grip tightened on the hurley stick that I intended to use in order to inflict my punishment on these sinners. I wondered if they were sharing, but I would soon discover that the wool master wanted the whole sheep for himself. That's my blood ran cold as the animal screamed an unnatural cry as the throat was cut. Morbid fascination prevented me from entering the room then and there to smite down these enemies of God's kingdom. <laughs> oh Jesus lads, I'm hyperventilating. They proceeded to disembowel the sheep and fashion the shawl from its hide and head which the wool master threw on his back. Then they started making out with each other. Oh Jesus <laughs> Not in a naked orgy of soft warm flesh like the days of Sodom and Gomorrah or an itchy, sweaty, fully woolen rub fest. I kicked open the door and all heads suddenly swiveled in my direction. I could not tell if they were shocked or not as such was the abundance of face covering woolly balaclavas. You sinners make me sick to my stomach! I exclaimed. Prepare ye! I am the scourge! We then started fleecing lads left, right and centre with the hurley stick. Farmer got a nice lick between the toe eyes. But I momentarily lost my footing on the slick sheep blood on the ground. That was all it took for the wool master to set upon me. Oh no, Jagger! He threw a 1986 All-Ireland Football Final DVD. Not included on the show. Hitting me on the side of the head. Kerry bastard. Set down now, now, Mr. Scourge. With his rugby tackle. <laughs> <laughs> he said, running at me with a rugby tackle. His big anchored balls hanging and flapping between. <laughs> with a rugby tackle. Not with his rugby tackle hanging out. Oh, sorry. <laughs> his momentum taking us both out the second floor window. <laughs> I landed on the back of me back. The wind knocked straight out of me. But where was the Woolmaster? You were lazy and untrained, Scourge. I heard him saying menacingly as he came <laughs> towards me, heading for my throat. Oh, lack of discipline. <laughs> I grabbed my hurley stick off the damp grass where it had landed and smashed it across the side of his face. But had no effect. <laughs> <laughs> I stood in front of him again with the hurl, ready to hit him again, when from behind I heard the crack of a leather bullwhip wrapped around my hurley stick, snatching it out of my hand. Finish him, my gimp. Ordered the woolmaster. Screamed the gimp as he launched himself into a two-footed kick square into my chest. That's a little bit of piss leaked out. Whatever bra I had left in me was gone and I was starting to really panic. 
Maybe I should have thought this through better. The gimp was coming at me again to finish me off. I reached into my tool bag and grabbed me crucifix with the sharp edges and sent it spinning towards him. One of the sharp edges pierced his wool outfit and embedded itself in its chest. The gimp squealed. He tossed his bullwhip towards me and in the blink of an eye, it had coiled around my neck. Oh, Jesus! The rest of the woolies were making their way into the garden now. One stocky-looking one was racing towards me with his exposed penis flapping from side to side with violent intent. Oh, look at me, boys! The Woolmaster Triumphant! The fucker bragged. I was losing consciousness, lungs burning. Sure, lads, what a way to go. The Lord would surely welcome me with open arms, having given my life in his service. That's when I heard the sirens. Somebody had called the law. Run, my woolly acolytes! We cannot be exposed! Implored the Woolmaster. I've never seen a crowd disperse quickly. Woolly wearing men jumping fences everywhere and disappearing into the shadows. Cars screeching into reverse. Garda Richie Gilbert raced into the garden, taking lads out like a whack-a-mole with his truncheon. Fuck off home. I summoned all the strength I had left in me and went for my bike. The gimp's bullwhip still hanging from my neck. My legs pedal as far as I could muster before I paused for a joint. Yeah, that's... As I sat there on the bike, I gazed up at the full moon and my aching body began to numb. I reflected on what had just happened. My first confrontation with my new nemesis, the Woolmaster, had almost been my last. I had been rash and went in there with no plan. But next time, yeah, I'll be cleverer, lads. These sinners are all out there and I'll make them repent. I'm the scourge! Best regards, the Jagger. Oh, Jagger, that's it. The Scourge is reborn. Okay, that was Jagger there and the return of the Scourge. So it'll be interesting to see where the story of the Scourge goes next. Thanks, Jagger. Okay, more music now from 1986. And this is one of my favourite tracks. It's from Europe. The Final Countdown. I think Pat's come in. Thank you. 
Venus, Venus, oh, Venus, and we'll return later. Cause maybe they've seen us sad. And look at my penis. Yeah. That's right, you used to shake with a first came out, remember that? You were always searching for your penis back in those days, man. Fuck off, Silent. Go on, Joey. That was a number one in 1986 in the UK. The final countdown from Swedish glam rockers Europe. Do you remember when we were listening to them and there was all this big battle between Bon Jovi and Europe and who was the best? I remember you buying a magazine uh, in the buying a magazine. It came into your possession. That's right, <laughs> under me parka jacket. Uh, from the local news agents, along with a, a loaf of bread, ten pack of easy singles, and a slice of ham. Uh, it was one of these poster magazines for girls. <laughs> <laughs> Which yeah, Joe, so Joey, I was woke back then. I was woke. Joey Tempest versus John Bon Jovi. Who was the dreamiest? And there they were, and all their hairy glory <laughs> and big teeth and everything else. And, and I used to take the slices of the loaf of bread and put the easy singles and the slice of ham on it, and just said, "Look at them!" All hairspray teeth and big blue eyes, standing there with the bare arms. Oh, and you put them posters up all over your wall, <laughs> even on the ceiling. <laughs> so uh, it's nineteen eighty. Six again, in case you didn't know, and it's the Friday Rock Show. Nostalgia! Adrian, and this is Tony Wilson. Hello! 
Now, some of the events that happened in rock that year included New Jersey rock band Bon Jovi hit it big with their third album, Slippery and Wet, which goes to number one in the US, six in the UK, and generates two number one singles with Living on a Prayer and You Give Love a Bad Name. You give love a bad name, bad name. Bon Jovi will be coming up later in the show. And Metallica released their third album, Master of Puppets, peaked at number 29 on the Billboard 200. Their bassist, Cliff Burton, died on the 24th of September that year in a bus accident in Sweden. Look What the Cat Dragged In is a debut album by Mechanicsville PA glam metal band Poison, which goes to top three in the US albums charts. Time for another letter received electronically. Hi, it's Chris Wackham here, and I want to tell all the lovely Friday Rock Show listeners about my experiences making my new nature show, Suicide Watch. Suicide Watch! The population of the indigenous wildlife of the country has been rapidly decreasing over the past number of years due to animals suffering from loneliness, isolation and despair. And they take the ultimate solution. (gasps) Serious? I would study the issue over three nights on this live TV show. In the middle of winter, the loneliest and darkest time of year, myself and my co-host Michaela set up shop in a small cabin inside of the forest of despair, armed with night vision cameras. One of our locked off cameras was positioned... Hang on, hang on, hang on. The name of the forest is the forest of despair. The forest of despair. Carry on. One of our locked off cameras was positioned on the branch of a mighty oak tree. There we observed an endangered red squirrel pacing back and forth, his little black eyes hollow and empty. Oh no! The bad weather was fast approaching and he had not gathered enough nuts to sustain himself and his family through the harsh winter months that lay ahead. The red squirrel is my favourite woodland animal! Pulling a length of ivy which had climbed a tree from the bark, he slowly and methodically attached one end to a branch and from the other end fashioned a small hangman's knot. He then built a pile of acorns onto which he stood and he placed his head in the noose. He kicked an acorn away and the slack piece of vine became taut. It was done. At dawn, we made our way to the site of our locked off camera. Michaela looked desolate as she slumped against the old oak, trembling as between her index finger and thumb she held aloft the tiny ivy noose. The forest had taken another victim. Our cameras tracked another character whose midnight hunts used to bring him past our cabin. It was a fox, who we decided to name Fred. Now Fred was getting on a bit and while it was not quite as fast as he once was. On one of our nights in the forest, we witnessed him being given the right run around by a cheeky little rabbit. The rabbit almost taunted him, stopping every so often and letting Fred come just close enough before disappearing again into the undergrowth. When the rabbit had had enough fun, he disappeared into the night. Fred slumped to the forest floor, panting, staring into the middle distance at nothing. I recount what happens next from Michaela's version of events. During the day, on a journey into the town for supplies, Michaela saw Fred step onto the road, slowly and deliberately. He stopped and looked straight at her as Michaela drove towards him. She slammed on the brakes, but it was too late! The Land Rover had hit Fred! She cradled Fred's body as the life slowly left him. Why, Fred, she asked. Why did you do it? Why did you do it? That night, Michaela was inconsolable. The only thing I could think of was to make her some of my special soups. <laughs> now, it's not like the Latin Abu Dhabi soup. I cooked it using only the fresh and tiniest, finest mushrooms. I could- <laughs> <laughs> well, they're good ones, all right. I say you go out foraging for them over the evening. The mushrooms I had gathered off the floor of the woodland. It certainly cheered Michaela up. 
Afterwards, I met up with Hammy the Hamster, who was drinking whiskey straight from the bottle. His acting career had gone down the drain after Tales from the Riverbank. <laughs> he I was, remember that! <laughs> he was in a dark place, and I did my best to talk him around. Later that night, I interviewed one of the forest's most famous inhabitants back at the cabin, Winnie the Pooh. Oh. As he sat at a table, slurping soup, Winnie confessed how he had moved from the 100-acre forest to escape his friends. Winnie had been bullied by his peer group, who had constantly accused him of being stupid. Alpha! Join in with the bullying there, Tony! <laughs> what do you want to be on the pussy side like? All I wanted was the company to have something to eat, he told me. Unfortunately, in escaping his unhealthy relationships, he had also lost his other great source of comfort. Food. There was no honey in the forest of despair. I did my best to talk him around and offered to drive him into the town and get him some honey or maybe take him back to the Hundred Acre Forest to give his friends another chance. Perhaps by now they were missing him and had seen the error of their ways. Winnie said he would think about it overnight. A while after Pooh had left, Michaela noticed that the tamazepam she had brought to enable her to sleep in strange surroundings had gone. Pooh must have taken them. He licked her drugs! <laughs> he did. We ran out into the forest shouting his name. Have you seen Pooh? Where are you? Hey! But he'd gone without a trace. We feared the worst and resumed our search the next morning when the sun came up. I spotted Bosco out of his box. Did you see Winnie the Pooh, Bosco? He's gone missing. Uh, replied Bosco. That's a classic! We searched everywhere and I saw the flumps dancing at the base of a tree to trumpet music and synchronised, all pointing upwards. <laughs> there, I finally spotted Pooh, three quarter ways from the top of the tallest tree in the forest. We feared the worst. I scaled the tree like I was ten years old again. Pooh was lying on a branch, lifeless, with the half-empty bottle of sleeping pills next to him. I feared the worst and checked for signs of life. Pooh spluttered into consciousness. Sorry, Chris. I tried to kill myself. To make doubly sure, I picked the highest tree in the forest and I was going to throw myself off the top. I guess I fell asleep before I got to the top. Poor Pooh. I'm so dumb, I couldn't even get that right. He said. I helped him out of the tree and got him to our Land Rover. We then spent the day in the Asley car park, eating jars of honey. You know what, Chris? Life ain't so bad. As long as we have the simple things, I said. Sometimes, they're enough, Pooh. We sat together, honey stains around our mouths, in silence, watching a beautiful sunset. Best wishes, Chris. Like all good fairy tales, it had a happy ending. And speaking of simpler things, coming up later, there's a few more simpletons. I used to have the running order of the show, but... Uh, Here it is. Producer Here it is. had it in the jacks with him earlier. You were, you were saying, yeah, well, just wipe off them stains. If you were saying you can't see you out with the right eyeball. <laughs> it's time for another classic track from the year 1986. This one is Aerosmith with Run DMC and Walk This Way. Lean, 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 lean,
run up the air Sing hey diddle diddle with the pussy and the fiddle Yes, that was Walk This Way there from uh, Run DMC and Aerosmith. And that song actually dated back originally to the 1970s and was from their album Toys in the Attic. Well, the um, Aerosmith one, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the Aerosmith yeah. version. Just clarify that now. What's Run DMC created that now? They were no, freeloaders, no, 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 as usual. No, you were no, saying no, something no, earlier no, about no, how no. the blacks come I in said, and take over everything. I said, well, this is proof <laughs> your point. I said the song dated back to the 1970s and the song was originally done by Aerosmith on the Toys in the Attic album and was later covered in this year 1986 by Run DMC and it also helped rejuvenate Aerosmith's career because it was a huge hit and was never off the MTV that's right and they especially re-recorded all their parts for that new mix that's it because they didn't even remember recording the original because they were that it was their face on coke we see because in 1985 before they released that mm. the album that they released was called Done With Mirrors because they were done with mirrors oh, you see oh yeah just little play on words then and uh, then of course they were invited to go on the Challenger Space Shuttle and the rest is history so listen we hope you're enjoying the music tonight and enjoying maybe a little of the old past shock interludes that he's kindly offered his services with and uh, coming up later we've a few interesting choices for this the tracks we played tonight we, we, we talked long and hard about playing um, and there was a lot of stuff left out that, that should have been played in my opinion some of them should have been played instead of the Saxon 
Dirac, which we played later, and, and I fought hard, but, but Tony wanted to play Saxon. Saxon are brilliant! There's a couple of songs in the following compilation which I would have chosen before that, uh, like Cinderella or, or, or the Poison song, even. <laughs> Is there a poison song in there? I thought so. I hope there fucking is now. <laughs> I worked hard and long for but, about two minutes on this compilation for you. But as usual, Tony. Listen, the only way to keep Asian happy is to serve him beer and serve it to him often. Cheers, there you go Cheers, now. Tony. You're the best. 1986. Honorable mentions go to Metallica. Messenger of fear inside. Not the Metallica. That shit is. You just don't remember what they sounded like. King Diamond. That's the Metal Church. We want the Metal Church. Doom. Poison. And I definitely would have played uh, King Crimson there. It wasn't fucking King Crimson, it was King, King Diamond. Diamond, you tool. <laughs> King Diamond, King Crimson. I don't know how you're still a DJ. <laughs> you're as bad as them two of them, lads. Like Pat Moley near the end. They send him off to transfer analogue to digital just to get him out of the fucking studio. And he invites all the lads up to ride them raw in his little house. Okay. The, the views of Tony do not represent... The views of Adrian. Cypher Never Letter! Yes! As they say 1986, back to the present, briefly. <laughs> and it's not nice here. Dear fully employed rockers, Jerry Dixon from the Job Club here, badly hung over and consoling myself. Last time we spoke, I was molested in the Job Club by Big Assumpta, the 200 pound Rwandan. Thankfully, after I was violated, she was deported. Deported. Job done! Jeez, I remember that! To celebrate the police taking her away after her attempts to retaliate through the courts, I booked tickets to see Taylor Swift at the Tree Arena in Dublin. Taylor Swift?! Like the old days, I took the train from Marklow, bought cans of Hino on board, and listened to Reputation on my Beats headphones. Ah, this doesn't fit in here, this is too up to date, man! But Jerry's in Job Club, he's a man of the modern day! I nodded at fellow passengers. Don't know how I was helping that fucking Jay-Z bastard with his Beats headphones buying them cons, I tell you. Put money in that fucking banjo's pocket. Ah, oh, don't say it, you're racist. <laughs> I'm woke. Fuck you. I'm woke. You're woke at about one o'clock today, you lazy whore. I nodded at the fellow passengers. I'm showing them I was ready to enjoy a flashbang spectacle. I made sure the visa was topped up. I wanted to buy souvenirs as a gig memento. I had even personalised my visa cards with Taylor's face. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Jerry was going gigging. I hadn't done this in years. My last one was Anthrax in 1989. So he's going from Anthrax now and he's going to the... Um, Jerry's ecumenical in his musical taste. Uh, Anthrax in 1989, which was abandoned halfway through, at some lad's spat hawkers at Scott Ian, and he stormed off the stage. Such was my luck, but Taylor would be different. That's I, right, you would be. I remember the long walk from the station down to the concert venue. There used to be desolate ruins and scalpers selling you shit in rotten burger vans. Not selling you shit inside the rotten burger vans, but they were also there. Now it's sky-high copper blocks, clean living, juice bars and a tram that takes you right to the front door. 
I queued up. I was much older than the girls around me. I told them I was a 50 Swifty. We got patted down for a contraband by security and then, yes, I was inside. Swift's face rose 10 metres tall in front of me. A giant merchandising section lay ahead. Girls screamed and ran amok. I saw pink crop tops, grey pyjamas, black hot pants, chiffon scarves, cuddly dogs and a signature bottle of 1989 rum. 1989! The last time I was out! That's <laughs> <laughs> only three years in the future! I would drink a bit of Taylor and buy the pyjamas as well. I'd lick a bit of Taylor, alright! I'd drink Taylor's water. Lick the lip off her! Taylor Swift now. I was digging out the visa when a kiosk caught my eye. It said, any vision on it. Any vision? It was a screen showing rehearsal clips of Taylor and her dancers. Wow, I went in for a closer look. She's so fit, dangling around the hips of big black men. They lifted her up, twirled her around, and she hung upside down, suspended from their arms. I stared at Her Majesty. After stops and starts, broken toes, and Taylor screaming at her dancers, I pulled myself off the video and headed to buy my 1989 rum. Bottle in hand, I offered over my Taylor visa. The girl smiled, popped the rum into a big Taylor carrier bag, took my card and scanned. But it wasn't accepted. <gasps> That's strange. I knew I had credit. I checked it yesterday. She tried again. And stepped away from the counter, taking the bottles with her. Hang on. I want my visa back. Suddenly, two bouncers in black suits with earpieces lifted me up, twirled me around, and hung me upside down. What the hell? I was lifted out of the shopping zone by my ankles and brought swinging into a side room. Jerry's airborne! I saw an upside down man sat at the desk. I was twirled right way up and plonked down in front of him. The blood drained from my head as he smiled. He said nothing but showed me his big screen. On it was me with a giant black cross over my face. It was titled Known Stalker. What? The man introduced himself, Chief Security Officer Mike Shimano. Mike spoke in a husky southern drawl. You were watching the rehearsals at the kiosk, yeah? Well, there's a facial recognition camera inside, taking your photograph and cross-referencing it with a database held in Nashville of hundreds of Miss Taylor Swift's known stalkers. You stared at it, my friend, it processed, and guess what? You're a stalker. What? I'm no stalker. I'm Jerry Dixon of Job Club in Arklow. I helped the unemployed. I would never stalk Taylor. I love her. Then in a flash I realised, big assumpter, I must have been there due to her retaliation when I removed her from the country. She claimed I raped her. Ah, did you always do that? But I didn't. I was violated. And this is why I'm on your list, Mike. Uh, can I call you Mike? We're employed to protect the most important person in this country right now. He lifted the bag onto the table. Taylor stared back at me. It was my rum. Taylor's face appeared from his top pocket. My visa. Outside I heard the intro video to the show. I was paying over 150 euro to miss my gig. I demanded to be let go as I'd done nothing wrong. Okay, Mr. Dixon, we can use your car here to invest in some comfort for Miss Swift. Prove you're not a stalker. Say one piece of each merchandise. What? A bribe? I was furious. Buy my freedom from fake stalker accusations of a woman I paid to see? In came two bouncers again, this time carrying pajamas, black hot pants, a scarf, a cuddly dog, and my rum. The gig was starting. Okay, okay, I'll buy them all. You win. Give it to me. They quickly depleted my visa, but I had to take all the gear with me now. What? I couldn't pick it up later? Fuckers. So that was it. I togged out in full tailor. I jumped into the grey pyjamas, pulled on the pink crop top, hugged the pop pants over, swung on the chiffon, grabbed the rum, snatched my visa and ran out of the room. Bastards. 
The big beats of Ready For It pounded out. Yeah, oh yeah, Taylor, I was ready for it, all right. I was fucking livid. I burst my way through the teenage bitches. Get out of it. Fuck you. Coming through. I was in no mood. I reached out the bottle, spat out the cork and swallowed it back. Yeah, that's right. Fucking Jerry Dixon's going to enjoy his gig. Suddenly, I found myself stage front. Taylor was dangling over the edge, suspended by black lads. I took a huge swig of rum. She was inches away. She saw me. I jumped. I wanted to touch her. The bouncer punched me down. As he did, the liquid spat out of my mouth as a burst of pyro launched. He caught the spray of the alcohol. The rum ignited. A flamethrower was heading straight for Taylor. No! She went up like a fucking firework. Her blonde locks burnt to a crisp. Her face started to melt. Dancers fed the stage. The music stopped and a screaming wall of pubescence trampled me underfoot as Taylor Swift was immolated live on stage. Uh, I don't remember much afterwards. I woke up this morning with puke all over my pink crop top, a max out visa and a murderous headache. How I got home, I don't know. The TV was on, silently replaying the horror. They blamed Bad Pyro for the death on stage of Taylor Swift in Dublin. All I knew that was, I was probably the last face she ever saw. And somehow I can console myself with that. I don't think I'll go gigging again after this experience. Jerry Dixon is done gigging. Please play me something soft and gentle. Yours, Jerry Dixon, Job Club Arclo. Oh, Jesus, Jerry. Jerry, you've murdered the Queen of Pop. Poor old Taylor Swift. And she's she's lovely. She does a lot for her fans. She was lovely. She's very interactive with her fans. She was very interactive. She even sung at one of her fans' weddings. It was was quite touching. It was one of those, you know, chopping onions moments when I seen it on Twitter. Well, you couldn't have been there in person because you're on the stalker list, weren't you? You bought them hot pants too, didn't you? Not only Jerry was wearing them, I saw those in the studio once. Oh, don't make me think of them, I have to go for one now, I'm going to squeeze one out. <laughs> Burst it out. Burst it into the jacks. Okay, let's uh, get back into our time machine and go back to 1986 once again with a band called Dave Lee Roth. And this one's called Yankee Rose from the album Eat em and Smile. You're listening to Adrian Antonio, Friday Rockstar, Nostalgia. in a long time.
That was David Lee Roth. These days, he's launching a new skincare range for tattoos. Yeah, yeah. You got a, um, a free... Uh, I got a free sample, yeah, yeah. for the tattoo on me Mickey. So <laughs> I always wanted to moisten my Mickey with David Lee Roth's cream. And now you have the chance. <laughs> yeah. Talking about 1986. Mustache, yeah. This year is the year that Metal Hammer magazine is first published. Uh, Phil Lillett, the former frontman of Thin Lizzy, dies at the age of 36 on January 4th from drug-related health problems. Otherwise known as overdosing on the heroin. And Motley Crue drummer Tommy Lee marries television actress Heather Locklear. Unfortunately born, lads, this year were Lady Gaga, Lindsay Lohan, Megan Fox, Ellie Goulding, Shia LaBeouf and Drake Ellie. if they weren't born your life would be better just admit Ellie it, m- it makes me feel bad about some of the things I've done <laughs> hi <laughs> hi is it a letter now it is a letter hi Ramsey's Longstaff here a very hearty hello to you gentlemen hello winter is coming as you may have guessed I'm a massive Game of Thrones fan and may I say, I've also been a long fan of your subversive tomfoolery on the wireless. Thanks! But this is the first time I've committed my digits to the keypad in order to share a recent experience with you, as so many of your other listeners have. That's what we're right in for! As you may have guessed, the aforementioned TV show plays a big part in it. It all began recently with my courtship of a rather captivating young lady called Madeline. Oh! The affection for her... Like Madeline Stowe, the big boss size, isn't her? The affection I... Remember her? She was alive back in 86. Was she? What film was she in? Uh, out. Alright, the affection I had for her, I could barely keep in. She immediately fell into keeper material when she bought me one of the coolest birthday presents I'd ever received. It was a tour of one of the castles used as a filming location for Game of Thrones. I was up there with the wife Maggie there last year. Was it we good? went up to was Doom it? Castle. Was it good? It was. Good. It was where they made the Game of That's Thrones. Somebody kept on telling us anyway. Good I stuff. didn't know what the fuck. Didn't look like it was on the screen. Great stuff. Sorry for interrupting you. We travelled together to Northern Ireland and the night before the tour we went for a romantic meal in an Indian restaurant. I must confess Local cuisine then Yes I must confess I'm not a worldly wise young man And found the contents of the menu Quite baffling My dinner date Confidently ordered her curry Ah Vindaloo And fearing that I would lose face I had to commit hurriedly Vindaloo was the only one That I remotely heard of So I went with that I know he's not that thick Okay One Vindaloo Are you sure sir? But it was too late to turn back now, as I would appear uncultured. I like my curry like I like my women, I told her. Hotter than lava. Unfortunately, it became painfully obvious to to her as I ate my meal, but it was not agreeing with me. My face flushed redder and redder, and I was gulping down water faster than a horse that had raced across the Sahara. I am a gentleman of a sensitive disposition, and mother has always had to be careful when cooking for me. So as I went to pay for the bill, safely hidden from my Madeline's sight, I immediately googled potential side effects. All my research came to one single, unavoidable outcome. That my arsehole will fall out. I spent a nervous night at the hotel, waiting for the dread moment to arrive. In the small enclosed room of a bed and breakfast, a foul, multi-century display of sounds and smells could kill this romance in its infancy. For the second night running, there's been violence in loyalist areas of Belfast. But thankfully it never came. A nervous, sleepless night passed. We had breakfast, and Madeline suggested I have a macchiato coffee. (laughs) I ordered two. A short cold trip followed to the Castle Ward estate, home to the location of Winterfell. Good afternoon, we're in Tullymore Forest Park, and this is 
the bridge where the dire wolf uh, pups were introduced. So far so good. No symphony of loud trumpets had disturbed the peaceful morning air. Perhaps I was made of sterner stuff. Maybe my dear old mum had overprotected me, little knowing that the constitution of an ox ran in the Ramsey's Longstaff's genes. I finally began to relax and enjoy the wonderful tour, although I did take careful note of the tour guide's mention of three toilet facilities, just in case. Madeline squeezed my hand. Ah, this was perfect. Beautiful scenery, the set of my favourite show, and the company of an angel. An archery experience is part of the tour. Just as I drew back the bow fully taut, the pain hit. Sharp and intense. It was as if a long sword had pierced me in the bowels. Good long staff! Just like in Game of Thrones, when each week you didn't know which character was going to go, well it was my turn to go now, and I had not been expecting it. The Vindaloo was storming the gates of the castle, and I didn't know how long my gates were going to hold. It would surely be an act of valour to chance a fart now. I dropped the bow and arrow, but before I could move in the direction of the toilets, a hail of arrows rained down from my arse, signalling the Vindaloo was about to breach my defences. Suddenly, I was aware that the cloud of foul-smelling gas was rising from me like the green mist of wildfire. The woman standing next to me drew back her bow and arrow and let off a completely wayward shot, almost killing an innocent passing pigeon. She looked at me, eyes watering, dry retching. What is that smell? I felt my cheeks reddening. The sewage must be blocked, exclaimed another. I had to run. The first toilet was opposite the castle and unoccupied. I attempted to run past the lady walking towards it. How dare you be so rude? Giving me a death stare. But I really have to go. It is mine by right. I was going first. You rudely overtook me. But please, I begged, squeaking more noxious fumes. Bob, tell him. A giant of a man strode over, picked me up and threw me to one side. Have some manners. Good God, what is that fetid smell? I had no time to explain. The battering ram had arrived and the castle gates were quivering. But I needed to hold my defences for a few minutes more. There was a toilet on the first floor of the castle for visitors and I intended in making it. Once again, my path was blocked by three sullen-looking children outside the door of the toilet. Folded over in pain, I asked the children how long they were going to be. Her mother is in there. You cannot pass. One of them scowled at me. That's okay. I'll wait. The kids started screaming. They started crying and wailing. One of them was screaming for me to... It was intimidating and intolerable. I braced myself to ascend to the top of the castle where the final toilet facility was. You are three horrible little dragons. I yelled at the children before taking flight. My they actually took flight. <laughs> he fucking the, the waves unleashed below and he went flying up in the air, jet propelled by a dose of in the loo. Here, Tony, have you ever had the wild shites? Is he like Bruce? Does he have the fucking pilot badge? My bastion was breaching. A thick droplet of sweat rolled in my forehead. Didn't know what you were going to say there. I was leaving a cloud behind me like the exhaust trail of a 1986 ladder. 1986! Finally, I reached the top of the castle. It was do or die now. Small pockets of the enemy were getting through and trickling warmly down my leg. Ah, oh, the fucking lads! The door was unlocked and I opened it. <gasps> Sitting on it was a shocked looking man with dwarfism. I am a good person. I never jump cues. I respect manners and etiquette. But I was gripped by a powerful outside forces that day. Get off the throne, dwarf! I yelled, lifting him up by his lapels and tossing him outside. Frantically assuming the position, I opened the castle gates. Mount Vesuvius erupted and the rivers of hot lava flowed freely. 
as freely as the tears from my eyes, just as much from discomfort as from relief. I was the king of pain, sitting on my throne of embarrassment. As you might guess, the authorities were unsympathetic towards me, but I am finding my mandatory community service very rewarding. It would also be correct to assume that Madison was also unimpressed. The whole debacle was very unattractive, and seeing me hauled off for an assault on a man with a condition really left that relationship dead in the water. It made me consider George or or Martin may too have eaten a devilishly hot curry to impress a special someone. It may have inspired him, as my pursuit of the throne made me suffer great pain, lose those I cared about, commit out-of-character barbaric acts, and ultimately left me sitting alone and feeling hollow. Vala Morgulis. He wrote, All men must die, but surely not of a shame and embarrassment, eh? Yours sincerely, Ramsey's Longstaff. If Ramsey's Longstaff uh, may have found himself being haunted by the law for assaulting that dwarf on his visit to Winterfell, he may have been wanted, dead or alive.
Stone Cold Classic there from Bon Jovi, Wanted Dead or Alive. One of the major rock releases of that year, among the other rock releases that Tell came it. out in 1986, yeah. was ACDC, Who Made Who, Europe, The Final Countdown, which you heard earlier, Iron Maiden, Somewhere in Time, which you'll hear later, Metallica, Master of Puppets, which you won't hear unfortunately, Ozzy Osbourne, The Ultimate Sin, coming up soon, Van Halen, 5150, sorry, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we heard a bit of Dave earlier, he was kicked out at that stage, <laughs> he was fucked off to Tommy Hacker, and Wasp, Inside the Electric Circus. Yes. You're listening to the Friday Rock Show, Moshtalgia, revisiting 1986 and the music and the events of that year. It's me and Tony and aided by Pat Jock, who's doing exclusive cover versions of some of the more famous tracks of 1986. He's in the studio next door and we just fade him in and out as appropriate, I think. <laughs> What's appropriate? <laughs> well, say not. Moshtalgia. It's Lulu Lara 18! I printed it out direct from the Gmail! Well, God love you, Spider Rockers. At least you have freedom. Peter's recovering in his cold and lonely one man cell in D Block here in the Mount Troy prison. Oh, that's right. Last time he was put into the prison for riddling all the girls. Yeah, the I, box. I remember that, yeah. For I've been sent down for the crimes against women that I've never did. I'm innocent. I told it straight to the governor, Pat Derringer's fat face, too. Copy sent to the CBU and 24 lockup. I didn't do the proof. Did you fucking proofread those fucking things? Ah, fucking hell. Bastards. I told it straight to the governor, Pat Derringer's fat face too. Got me sent to the CBU and 24 hour lockup with no integrating with other inmates. But I'm not unruly. Sure, his jaw was softer than it looked. The controlled behavior. <laughs> the jaw's gone fucking bananas now. The controlled behavioral unit is no place for anyone's. It. Only one hour out of her a day for exercises. And do you know how that bollocks derringer exercises it? You don't fucking want to know. But I have to tell you, lads. Needs to be told. Tell us, Peter! Governor Derringer wants to make Mountjoy prison profitable. Like American ones. Is. He burst into me cell as I was on the pot. Took out a little plastic pink bulb. And said he was going to farm me out for cheap labours. I wants to be sent for the chats. 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 Ha! Now, the chats. chats. Peter was isolated so long, I jumped at the chance of a bit of old chatting. But who'd I be chatting with? And for how long? That'd have been months. I was immediately cuffed and hauled upstairs to the main D-wing. Three landings were ten cells on each. There were a heap of other lads. All big glass doors and black boxes stuck to the centre of each one. Derringer blew his whistle and the warden stripped every last bastard of us naked. Hang on there. Ha! Right, let's go off the bottom, please. Thirty bare ball sacks on parade? Ah, mommy, I was second. Come on, move on. But that wasn't in the hype of the place compared to what lay ahead. Another whistle from Derringer. And a tune to the fucking Muppet Show blared out of the tannoy. 
It's time to play the music. It's time to light the lights. It's time to make the Muppets on the Muppet Show tonight. Pop, pop. Fancy, Fury. We were marched to our own separate cells. Thrown in and locked up. The rooms were all glowing green with mirrorball lights, like them ones down the meeting's disco in Avoca. A chair and a small table. Smelt rotten, but at least it was warm. The inside of the black box stuck to the glass door held a monitor with a keyboard on the table. What the fuck am I supposed to do with this? I roared as I heard a scream down the hall. Before I had a chance to understand, the door flung open. Two of the biggest bruisers you'd ever seen, followed by Governor Pat Derringer swinging that little plastic pink yoke in his hand. What? The bruisers mauled me into the chair, slid me back and reefed up an ankle each till my tight ring piece was square on with Derringer's face. This, he said, is a love-ends lush. As he put on a pair of yellow gloves. It's an app-controlled vibrator, Peter. He continued. This fat end is the tip, the thin end is a Bluetooth antenna. And the best thing about it is, it's going right up your arsehole. My eyes flared. What's going on? I was about to be violated. In shot the governor and he shoved it up me. I nearly cried, so I did. But after the initial urge to squirt it out, it nestled without anger and the bruisers unclamped me ankles. Pat Derringer said that if I kept it up there for an hour, I'd never be left in isolation again. Ah, here. Peter wasn't born yesterday. What's the fucking catch now, mister? Just look at the monitor. He said. And the rest will take care of itself. Remember, do not take the lush out, no matter what. As I sat naked with a small pink antenna peeking out under my beanbag, it was an offer I could not refuse. I nodded. With that, the mountain men vacated. Leave me all alone, staring at a screen. Then the fucker lit up, and I met myself looking back at me. Ha! With the pale greasy frog asleep on me hip. What the fuckery? I was live on one side of the screen, with a blaze of text and colours opposite. What's going on with Peter? I think I fucking know. <laughs> the first line came on the screen in black and said, Room subject changed to Welcome to Peter's prison Heart sign Come shot at goal Hashtag lush Hashtag solid rod Hashtag redhead Hashtag hay baler 500 tokens remaining There was a number beside the heading It said 3 Below it was a menu list 10 tokens for 3 seconds 20 tokens for 10 50 for 30 And hundreds more All flashing and zooming around the place I had no gumption of what was in front of me eyes A tinny bell rang out on the screen and a new line appeared in yellow. Ten tokens. My love and slush is now reacting to Conquer 99's tip. It will stop after three seconds. I was lost, lads. But then suddenly, me hole exploded into a spasm, and I dived off the chair. I arched me back to the air, landed on my knees, gripping the chair handles for life. Me pink implant was ablaze with buzzes and traps as I roared to the gods. I lifted myself up just enough to see the screen, and a new comment from Conquer 99 said, Peter, I've just come. I hear what's going on at all. Was I abused? Another commentator popped up on screen. Peter, it asked. Do you want me to make your hole larger for future boyfriend? Ha! Huh? But I'm not a queer, huh? Another tinny bell sounded, and a new yellow line appeared. 
50 tokens my loving slush is now reacting to like a libelized tip. It will stop after 30 seconds. Before I could take cover, my knees buckles, arse flared, and Krakatoa corrupted in my pipe. Fists clenched, jaw tight, kidneys rocking. I juddered across the floor like an electric boogaloo. I trusted them fucked inside a buzzed and tingled as me rod conducted lightning. Stop it, please, stop it. I tried to stand up. Like a lively, said she was going to ride you so hard, I'll change your fucking blood type. Again, a little bell rang out. Ha! A new yellow line. No! 200 tokens! My love and slush is now reacting to Blake Lively's tip. It will stop after two minutes. Two fucking minutes! Ha! <laughs> I slumped, grabbed my ankles to stop my legs flying away. But like a lively was controlling me. Then the rumbles began. I started to rotate. Faster and faster. The vibration intensified. Tate rattled. My arse was in trouble. I spun harder, stronger, quicker, while spinning. Lights flashing, shuddering, jerking, flexing, bumping. Can't see. No. I have to come. Need to. One. Can't. Pulsing. Blinded. Ah. Balls are heavy. Can't please. Stop it. It's all gone mad. Help me. Oh. I couldn't hold on to my ankles any longer. Had to release. With it, the arms flew back. Feet slapped off the table. I roared out and leashed both barrels. Oh, fuck yes! Keyboard flew off and burst me square in the face as I pumped milkery jizzery all over me belly and spun back to the standstill. Struggle for breath? The world span. I left onto the screen as I throbbed and oozed, sweating quartz all down me reddened torso, blood coursing through me groaning tool. My eyes regained power as I looked at myself, half buckled on the floor, baked in green light, looking like the Riddler had been raped. I was wasted, shaking, confused, but oddly satisfied. The last line on screen sharpened into focus. It was flashing pink and yellow. Congratulations, Peter. You have been chatterbaited. I sat on the floor, legs spread, spasming, hugging myself. Then a comment popped up. I was like a lively again. I said, Peter, I'm here in my trailer. I just exploded. You were awesome. I slid over to the chair and wrenched myself up, legs skittering like a newborn calf. But like a live or like disconnected, the user count went down to zero. I yawned. Only ten minutes had passed, but Peter needed to sleep. Must lie down. But that's when I heard it. That tinny little bell. I looked up. User count. One. No! There was a fucking another yellow line. It said 500 tokens. For a comment from Blake Lively. Miss me? Ah, the rumbles. I'm gonna die here, lads. Fuck you, Pat Derringer. Peter's doomed. 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 Stampton Authorised, Mountjoy Prison, 7 North Circular Road, Inskey, Dublin. <laughs> Need oxygen. Like Axel. Have to go backstage, get oxygen. Let's continue. <laughs> Oh, Peter, you need the oxygen now. Mm. What was you talking about in that letter? I, I'm a bit confused by that story. It was definitely uh, a torture device remotely controlled by these people on the internet. Sick. What's the world coming to? I have no clue. That's why it was better in 1986. It was. There was no torturing and killing back in 1986. Tell you what, though. It sounds by the way the people was going on with all that newfangled brutality. It was the ultimate sin. Ozzy Osbourne. Yeah. Ozzy, Ozzy, Ozzy. This is Ozzy after he came back from dropping off the wagon. Enough is enough. There's nothing left of me to devour. 
the legendary Ozzy Osbourne there with the ultimate sin. I was just saying to Tony between the song there that I was heading to his concert this year, but unfortunately Ozzy had to cancel most of his No More Tours too because he's taken sick with pneumonia. Well, you know, you have to, you know, honestly, you know, he's about 85 now. Mm. I was all geared up to go, Tony, and, and next minute he cancels. Uh, I was going to like a, a complete circle because the last time we'd seen him was in... Uh, 87, actually. Was it 87? Great gig. One of my first gigs. He kind of looked gig. like um, Sharon from EastEnders. He did. He was all pudgy and he had big hair and stuff. <laughs> Get well soon, Ozzy. And we hope to, the tour goes ahead sometime in the near future. And Judas were on that too. Looking forward to getting hell bent for letter. Oh, so here we are. It's Mostalgia. Mostalgia. Salam alakum, Friday Sultans. May peace be upon you. Your peace was not upon me today. I ventured to the Fakir IVF Center in Abu Dhabi to donate my prize sperm. Oh yes, Adrian and Tony, for my bounty is great. A routine checkup informed me by my doctor that I possess the greatest sperm Abu Dhabi has ever seen. He advised me to visit the IVF Center to donate, for I will be assisting our great sisterhood. As Abu Dhabi means father of the gazelle, then that is what I would be, for I will father the next generation of gazelles. Yeah, you that. Did you? Yeah, of course I did. It was 41 degrees outside. <laughs> I slapped on my kaffia and jumped into Bugatti for the two-minute trip downtown. I parked out front, paid for one hour, and gazed upon my mighty tower. <laughs> this IVF clinic was a massive building, 40 stories high. I put on my sandals and wafted in through the turnstiles. A wall of department names hung in my face. Artificial insemination, vasectomy reversal, testicular mapping, and micro-teasing. Mm, that last one is for men with shy and tiny penises. Micro-teasing, coaxing it up with encouragement. Ah no, this was my one, sperm freezing. On a day like today, who wouldn't want that? This would not take long. In, take it out, squeeze it off, fill it up, gone. I took the elevator to the 27th floor and announced myself at reception. I am Prince Jamal Borak Najil Mobina. Nigel for short. I am to donate mighty sperm to our gazelles. Where shall I unload? The woman gave into my hands a tiny plastic cup with a screw-on red lid. Will this be big enough to hold all of me? I asked. She told me to sit in the waiting room. I flicked my kaffia and walked through. It was jam-packed. Men, all with their little red cups. I could not tolerate sitting here, pulling at my lid in front of all these men. So I sought out a nurse. There was a corridor with two rooms on the left, red light indicators above each door. The first one was off, the second on. I captured a nurse and asked if I can use the empty room. No, she shouted. That is for blood. This one is for spermiograms. She pointed to the room with the glowing red light, but someone was inside. I sat back in the waiting room. More men, more plastic cups. The red light stayed on. I was nervous. How does this cue work? Who was before me? More men, hotter. Ten minutes passed. Fifteen. I tapped my knee furiously. She's like, hey, sitting in the waiting room. The red light was still on. My God, what is going on inside? Can he not shoot his load? Is he locked in? Is he dead? I cursed him and slapped my sandals to the ground. Men started to argue who was next. Nurses stopping them for using the blood room. I couldn't take it. I jumped up and shouted. It is I who possess the greatest sperm in all Abu Dhabi. It is I who fathers the next generation of gazelles. I ran into the reception hallway. I looked for a toilet. This would not take me 15 minutes. I spotted a handicapped sign and went for it. Why was the sign handicapped? Was it spelled wrong or something? (laughs) 
There was no red light. I jumped in, locked the door, unscrewed the lid. Put it on the roll dispenser to my left. Hang on a second. The sign wasn't handicapped. It was a handicapped sign oh. saying people who are handicapped can walk to this toilet. <laughs> <laughs> Makes total sense. <laughs> there was no red light. I jumped in, locked the door, unscrewed the lid. Put it on the roll dispenser to my left. The open cup on the cistern in front lifted my calf down. I thought of British actress Carrie Mulligan. Okay. Oh, she, she I like fine. her. Do you like? Do you know who she is? I probably know what to see now. Would you? Yeah. Have you seen any films recently? Not since 1987. <laughs> <laughs> I'll show you pictures of her later, eh? I've got a good edited collection of her best work. Do. <laughs> Perhaps you can supply me with a cup. <laughs> with a little red lid. <laughs> Sorry if I lose it in the dark. Blessed be her dimpled face and deep voice. Mmm! So good! I closed my eyes. It was difficult at first. For who does it standing up? Exactly! You have had a way standing up! I can't anymore. The gravity just. <laughs> it works against me. For who does it standing up? How to balance yet attend to the matter in hand? How to deposit securely as you arrive with the thunder of Arabian horses? I had to fill an open cup on a cistern as my legs gripped each side of the toilet. But I was intent. For the future of Abu Dhabi, I focused and pictured myself in the film Shame. I love you. I love you so much. I love you. Please. I love you. I love you. Seeing Carrie naked in the shower. I haven't seen Shame, have you? Jim Carrey. Uh, yeah, Jim Carrey was in the shower in the Volvo. <laughs> and the crying game was playing. Oh no, that was, uh, that was a different film. A 30 second glory of Carey smiling had me bent over, pressure peaking, grabbing the cup, hanging down, oh, sending my semen into safety. Goal! Praise be it was a success, Adrian. Everything was contained, not to drop wasted. Yeah, it was amazing. I had no idea. I really thought I'd gone as far as I could go. I was briefly lightheaded as I extracted toilet roll from the dispenser to wipe myself down. This was to prove costly as I placed the uncapped creamy cup back on the cistern shelf. I pulled out some roll. It was jammed. I yanked at it. The block freed. The wheel spun. And my hand took flight. The red lid slipped off the top of the dispenser and fell into the toilet. My hand flew to the cistern and smashed into the open cup. No! It went spinning into the air! Violently donating its warm paste all over my caftan and sandals. <laughs> oh no, for the love of Allah, my gazelles! Sprayed all over them! <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly there was a knock on the door. I descended into a red-faced panic. A woman's voice asked me if everything was okay. Quickly, I retrieved the red lid from the water and tried to scrape and scoop sticky blobs off me. But it was all soaked in. Ah, oh, no! The woman knocked again. I needed to get out. I furiously wiped down the stains and flushed... <laughs> and flushed my feet clean. I composed myself, unlocked the door, and faced with the woman, I said... <laughs> Sticky hairy toes. <laughs> I said, thank you, thank you. I am fine. She did not believe me. I stood still like a scolded schoolboy. She smiled and said, salmon or tuna? What? What are you seeing, woman? She repeated, salmon or tuna? Don't worry, and rubbed my shoulder. I was not comprehending and did not like her touching me. She continued, vitamin D, the fastest way to increase sperm if you're having a micro-teasing problem. Salmon or tuna will help. 
I was exasperated. How dare you, woman, not look at me? It is, it is I who possess the greatest sperm in all Abu Dhabi. It is I who fathers the next generation of gazelles. I am Prince Najil. I have no small penis. She pointed to the empty smeared cup in my hand that I forgot I was holding. And also to the red lid on the floor behind me. Uh -huh. I held my head in defeat. Salmon and tuna, she said, winking, and went back to the reception. No, no, you have got it all wrong. It was the dispenser. The dispenser jammed. The dispenser does not work properly. Do not look at me. I was stunned, flushed, weak, hungry and stunned. I shuffled over to the window, stained cup in hand. I looked out over the bay. Then police lights in the plaza below caught my gaze. No, you bastards impounded my Bugatti. You infidels. May peace be not upon you. It is unforgivable, Adrian and Tony. I must return to the clinic tomorrow to finish what I failed at today. For I will father the next generation of gazelles. I will, and you can count on it. May peace be upon you. I am Prince Jamal Borak Najil Mobina. Nigel for short. Ah, oh, Nigel. Thanks for uh, sending that in to us. That's uh, certainly a first. That's right. <laughs> okay, so what's up next, Tony? Priest. Turbo lover. That's a new Paris folk. Got the letters on. This one's from the Judas Priest. Nice, lovely lads. All very tough looking. You won't hear me. But you'll feel me. Without warning, something's done. Listen. Listen. Are you listening? Oh, I'm listening. You're listening. Then within your senses, you'll know you're defenseless. Oh, how your heart beats.
Judas Priest Turbo Lover from 1986. On the Freddy Rock Show Nostalgia Special from 1986, we come back to the present about someone going back to this time. Ah. All right, it's Tucker Peacock Wilson here. <laughs> How do you do that? <laughs> your left eye on the right side and your right eye on the left side, is it? I'm buzzed. It's Tucker Wilson Peacock here, guys. Hi, Tucker. And when I discovered you were doing a 1986 special, I decided it was only fair that I got my time fiddler to rev up his time machine invention and take us back there. I decided to take us back to my hometown in that area and see how things have changed in the last 30 years. But building time machines have turned out to be quite expensive, so the time fiddler has had to sell a lot of his stuff. The Audi is gone, and I even found someone who would exchange cash for the Portaloo. Luckily, oh. during a transaction with the travelling community, he was given a horse and cart in part exchange. This became the new home of the Tux Capacitor, nestled in the base of the cart. It will be pulled by a horse who fiddler named Venus. Venus, however, will be required to create a certain amount of forward momentum to generate enough energy in conjunction with the Tux Capacitor to open a quantum gateway. So we took her out to the fields and gave her the lash. It's such a buzz time travelling, all lights and crackling energy, and at any point our atoms could be spread to the four corners of the universe by the forces unleashed. Touch wood, in this case, the big old timber frame of the cart arrived in one piece. We'd arrived by a river across by a newly built footstick bridge. By Fiddler's calculations, it was late August 1986. I grabbed the reins and took the cart on a little trek. Soon I was upon it. My old secondary school, vacant and quiet for the summer holidays. In a few weeks, I would be walking towards it, bag on my back, nervously heading towards big boy school. Girls, assholes and exams, all ahead of me. The main street hadn't changed much. Just the boxy 1980s cars, Ford Escorts, Mondeos, lots of Renault 18s and 5s. As there was a Renault dealership on the main street down from the Buckies. There were only a few people on the street and they looked suspiciously at the horse and car. I stopped into Battle's central shop for a packet of sherbet colas, blackjacks and some space dust. Hey! You remember the space dust, do you? I'll be out crackling in your mouth, it was deadly. That's it. We passed Collins Pub and then reached the town square. And there was another symbol of my misspent jute, Dolly's Chippers. Banging out of the door, along with the overpowering smell of greasy chip fat and vinegar, was the raucous beat of Ram Jam's Black Betty from the vinyl jukebox. A couple of pale spotty looking ne'er-do-wells hung around outside her, all tank tops and white socks with black shoes. The clouds were grey for an August day and getting greyer. We stopped off at a nearby field and we had a bit of a picnic. The time fiddler had brought a portable radio with him. When we tuned in, Barry Lang was on Radio 2. Uh, bon Jovi in action there, uh, that's called Lay Your Hands On Me. Anybody who went to see them at the RDS uh, for the couple of concerts recently... Today, apparently a woman rang the BBC and said she heard that there was a hurricane on the way. Well, if you're watching, don't worry, there isn't. But having said that, actually, the weather will become very windy. Well, but there's a vicious looking area... Of we didn't stay too long. It was already getting dark and windy. And there was a gentle rain starting to fall. But when we got back to where we'd left the horse and cart, he was gone! Jesus, we've got to find her before we get caught by the storm! Fiddler worried. 
We frantically ran to see if we could spot where it had gone. But there was no trace. I couldn't stand the thought of being trapped here. It could be 10 years before I could get the internet. Then I sniffed out the answer. At the crossroads, there was a traveller's halting site. They loved an old horse and cart. Hastily, we made our way to the crossroads. There it was, parked in amongst several others. We'll have to disguise ourselves, I said to the fiddler. Go and have a roll around in the mud. Once suitably dishevelled, we made our way into the camp. Christy Berg's Lady in Red was crackling from a small battery-operated cassette player positioned next to a smoky campfire. A tall traveller approached us. Can I help these lads? That's a gorgeous horse and cart, Fiddler said in his best pikey accent. Can we have it, please? I replied. Well, lads, no, I'm Francie Connors. Do you have anything to barter for it? Uh, we're a bit short on cash. Oh, no, well, I'm a bit bored. May- maybe a challenge for it. How about a game of raps? Francie took out a deck of cards. The loser in this particular game of cards got wrapped on the knuckles by the edge of a deck of cards. Fiddler volunteered and gave me a wink. I knew he was providing a distraction while I tried to steal our horse and cart back. I sneaked off as Time Fiddler's knuckles became more and more bloody. Howls of delight went around the camp upon each rap. Like a ninja, I weaved through stationary horses and rolled onto the back of the cart. That's when things began to kick off. The Time Fiddler started accusing Francie of cheating. Within seconds, shirts were torn off and two bare-chested men are facing off as the wind and rain began to swirl around the campsite. Now, I like looking at a bare knuckle brawl as much as the next man, but the timing was quite inopportune. Francie launches a saucepan from the campfire at a time fiddler, who dodges it Matrix style, and the pan hits our horse on the nose. The horse rears and I'm sent tumbling across the cart, exposing my whereabouts to everybody. You're robbing bastards! Screamed Francie. I offered to fight you for the horse fair in the square, but you try and steal it! It's not what it looks like, I try to explain. I'm just inspecting the timber. It looks like you've had a bit of woodworm. Lads were grabbing hatchets and shovels everywhere. Oh, fuck it. Giddy up, Venus. I pulled on the reins and made a bolt for it. Come on, fiddler. Jump on. Sly leaf, flabby, torso exposed and eyes bulging, time fiddler sprang at the cart, grabbing onto the edge. Can't you use your make ever the honey or we'll never get out of here? The rain was lashing off my face as we tore through the crossroads and the wind was getting stronger. I felt a loud bang. A hatchet had been tossed at us and landed inches away from my foot. Two sulkies were in pursuit. These were small, light carts. Basically a chair with two wheels being pulled by a horse. We need to lose them and get out of sight. Fiddler stated the obvious. We could not make a time jump where it could be witnessed by people of this time period for fear of changing the course of history. A slash hook whizzed by my left ear. I decided to go off-road through a gap in the ditch. I reckoned I knew enough that if I went across these fields, it should bring us to the riverside. We lost one of the sulkies, but one more remained in pursuit. It was Francie. We were wheel to wheel right now. Then I saw it too late. A large rock was protruding from the ground. The cartwheel hit it. Coming clean off and spinning up into the air. 
The cart turned over, tossing the time fiddler, me off the cart and into the field. The spinning wheel was launched in the air, dropping straight back down. On Francie Sulky, killing him stone dead. Jesus! Our time machine was smashed, leaving us stuck in 1986. And to make matters worse, the wind and the rain was lashing off us. How would I cope without smartphones and Netflix? Now, I needed to get a grip. The time fiddler still had the tox capacitor. All we needed was another method of transportation to hook it up with. The time fiddler, was he okay? I panicked. The time fiddler would have to be still alive to do this. Where was he? I frantically looked around me. I spotted his body laying still, a couple of metres behind me. Fiddler! Fiddler! No, Cousin Sandy, I won't finger you. Ha! Ha! The time fiddler spluttered in the consciousness. Ha, ah, Jesus! Me head feels like it's been used for a five-a-side practice. We better get out of here, Tucker. I reckon I can attach the tux capacitor to the wheel mechanism of the sulky, but it'll be difficult without any tools. No worries. Francie brought a load of knives, hatches and hammers. The time fiddler set to work, with the rain flooding off his uncovered milk bottle white back, and his fingers were going blue. We could barely stand upright against the wind by the time we'd finished. Luckily, Venus was okay, and she could pull the sulky. We needed to get down to the riverside, where there was a long enough stretch of ground for Venus to generate enough speed to power the tux capacitor. Also, there we could use the wind behind us to give us an extra push forward. And the time fiddler was a genius, but there was always a small worry at the back of your mind that this might be the time that it doesn't work. With a shout and a crack of the whip, we set off. With the storm force wind at our back and travelling with the lightweight sulky, we went faster than ever. Too fast! The time fiddler was struggling to keep control. The tux capacitor began to hum. There was a crack of lightning close by, startling Venus. She veered to one side and we began to leave the ground like Santa's sleigh. We were heading straight for the footstick bridge. The time fiddler pulled back the reins, but the sulky smashed straight through it. And the bridge splintered into pieces, which fell into the raging water. There was a flash of blinding white light. And then, we were back, back at the river. But the storm had gone, and all was calm again. Rarely had we experienced such a traumatic time jump before, but thankfully, we were home. Fortunately, nothing bad came out of this in the end. Only poor Venus had picked up a yeast infection under his foreskin from fraternising with the traveller's horses. I consoled myself by locking myself indoors and listening to Jean-Michel Jarre's Rendezvous. This was the closest I ever wanted to get to 1986 again. Best, Tucker Wilson Peacock. Ah, Tucker I Wilson Peacock! That brought back a few memories there, some of the things you mentioned in, in the letter. I was like, it was back in 1986. Go to school, girls, yeah. assholes. Exams. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, Jesus, Tucker, I tell you, he's, he's flying by the sea of his pants, literally. There's nothing to support him anymore. And you know, Tucker, I know you don't want to go close to 1986 again, but you know, if we do do a, a 1987 or a 1985 show, I might ask you to do that. Just, just saying. Yeah. You can always come with us on our trips. <laughs> you are listening to Adrian and Tony on the Friday Rock Show. Mosh Dalja. 1986! Honorable mentions go to... Cinderella! Tesla! Slayer! Angel of Death! 
All right, that was uh, Kenny Loggins and Danger Zone, but it was actually Pat Chockensy's exclusive version of the 1986 classic, Danger Zone. Yeah, and he says, Pat, he might actually put that one on his new comeback album called The Pat Rack. You know, I think it's worthy of inclusion there. I think he knocked that one out of the park. So we're coming to the end of the show, 18. Thanks, everybody, for listening to us tonight for our 1986 Mosh We're coming to the end of uh, the Friday Rock Show Mosh Look back at 1986. And I quite enjoy going back over the year 1986. I like Tucker's letter, Sherbet Colas, Chris DeBerg. <laughs> Brought the memories flooding Travelers, back. based on this, we might just do it again. Not the same year, like, but maybe even further back. Because it was such a, a rich period in rock's history. There's so many good tunes out there. Uh, throughout the 80s, I'd say from the late 70s through to the early 90s. Before uh, Tony started uh, hanging out with lads, listening to Happy Mondays and going down to Lara to smoke joints. <laughs> and I suppose this is our particular era of expertise. We were there when it happened and we remember we were there when that music came out. We're best place to play to you and tell you all about it. Mustache. So whether you remember 1986 or you're new to the music and you discovered it from your your father or your older brother, I hope you enjoyed tonight's Friday Rock Show. Looking back at 1986. And finally, to round off the show, is the final letter of the line, Angel. Dear Adrian and Tony, as I sit here pulling my flog, hoping for simpler times, I talk to Bruce Dickinson, who's in my head. Bruce is telling me that he is considered one of the world's most legendary musicians. He screams at me. I hardly move. This is normal. He tells me he's a true polymath, an airline captain, a space engineer, a beer brewer, a speaker, a radio presenter. It goes on and on until I pass out again. He wakes me back up to lead me to the basin for a piss. He tells me he's a sorcerer too. I just want him to leave me alone. But he won't leave. I just want simpler times. But Bruce goes on and on in a great florid detail about how he pissed on his teacher's lunch to get kicked out of school and here's me can't get a drop out of me pipe after five beer cans of Trooper. Bruce wakes me again, singing Shoot All The Clowns. I just wish he'd get on with it. He's always with me in the work toilet at Penny's when I only want to feel the comfort of actual toilet roll. Penny's, hit the back of the neck. At lunch, when I try to talk to Nora at the counter, I open my mouth, but words come out like I'm a drunkard or a stroke victim. Because Bruce Dickinson is inside me, taking my words and firing them back at me faster, harder, and more appropriate. He tells me as a small man, he's got the widest skirt for Nora, and he's. <laughs> and he'd show her a better time than me and that he'd talk her into submission with his erudite and witty banter. On the bus home, he's there talking about flying zeppelins and their payload versus fuel distributions. By 7pm, I have an energy to take the tea bag out of the cup. Never mind fighting the fridge for milk. Bruce chimes in again. He tells me he's a fighter. He's the energy to even take on cancer at its own game and defeat the fucker. Listen. With Iron Maiden Trooper, Robinson's Brewery, and with the help of Bruce Dickinson, they've joined together with Help the Heroes to become part of the force for good. How can I aspire to you on a wet Tuesday night, man? I don't want your cancer. And if I got it, I'd be useless in the fight anyway. Just leave me alone, Bruce, till I open a trooper and get a bit of blogging done. You see, I blog a bit about craft beer, or at least I try. Can't afford it. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is the next best thing. Yet there's Bruce again, hovering over me. 
He swipes my hand away from the keyboard and tells me how proud he is to be part of the Help for Heroes Veterans Charity. Some really good news in the brooms department. Light Brigade is his golden 4% ale. Created by Iron Maiden, it says here. £1.25 a bottle. That he says maintains the elements of strength and character that are the essence of a trooper, but at a more sessionable level. Sessionable? Sessionable? When was the last time I met the lads and had a good session? Never! Bruce quickly corrects me on what the word session actually means in beer parlance. He tells me, deftly and precisely, that the cask conditions 3% to 4% alcohol means you stay coherent after about 8 in a session. Hence, sessionable beer. Ah, stop patronising me, Bruce. That's very interesting. <laughs> Educational on a Friday or something. very interesting. But so I told you Bruce knows everything. Bruce is an interesting guy, in fairness. Well, you like him in your head, though. No, me All the time, like, dictating your every move. Tell you, he's better than you in everything you try. That he's already done it. I take ten minutes trying to type a sentence on how Trooper tastes. Bruce is back in my face telling me he's already done it. Done what? That he's done it all? He's been a scriptwriter, a twice-published novelist, a best-selling author, and he gets his beery ideas brewed for him for free and doesn't take any money from it, too. Because that's the kind of guy he is. And anyway, Maiden gets so much from touring, it doesn't matter a fuck. In a rage, I smash my head down on the table and beg him to leave me. But Bruce never does. For Bruce is a sorcerer. Beware. He takes your money to see him prance on stage and pontificate in theatre, and then he's inside you. You're his. He sucks your energy, see? The energy of the crowd. He absorbs it and sends it back out to you. Sends you home with him inside. He's been with me ever since Seven Son of a Seven Son Tour of 88. Bruce is the seventh son. The man's a goblin, and I mean a real goblin. That's his face in the goblin beers from Witchwood Brewery. <laughs> Bruce whispered to me when I was nearly passed out drunk that he licensed his face for use on the bottles. He cackled and begged me to scream for him. I couldn't. I couldn't even manage to organise my tongue. If ever I have the chance to save up to buy a few beers down the off-licence, it's full blunt force trauma with Bruce critiquing each beer loudly as I walk by, trying not to be noticed as I twitch, spasm and slap my head. Bruce gives all the beers I scan his own personal rating. That's a four, extra boy. I walk on. That's a two, rubbish flavours. Another. A five star there, mate. Oh yeah, that one. Get that one in. He always says that when I lay eyes on his Iron Maiden trooper beer from Robinson's. His beer, his idea. Of course it was. So as I sit here typing to you, sharing you our thoughts, Bruce is raging at me not to send. He says I should delete it. He says you're not a real rock show and don't deserve to bask in the reflected glory of his munificence. I don't know what that means. Now wait. Bruce says it means generosity. Also he says that you're not as good as his rock show and that his is better because you don't play enough music and you're always prattling on in a smug manner. Not as smug or as prattling as he would be. Hence, that's why you're not worth listening to. I have to go now and put Iron Maiden's Book of Souls albums on again for the seventh time today as I gently fondle my limp flog. If eternity should fail starts. It's the only song Maiden have ever played in a drop D tuning, Bruce whispers, as his voice doubles up on the speakers. He says it every time. Here is the cell of a man Here in this place for the taking He introduces ominously. And I know that, with me, this is true. For Bruce Dickinson has my soul. He has achieved dominion in the field of men's souls. Why am I not surprised? He does everything, and he will never leave. Here is the cell of a man. Forever outdoing me and informing me of his greatness, till I shrivel up into an atrophied husk. 
please play me something from Simpler Times before 1988. Yours, Lee Bennett, Star on the World, Gloucestershire. That's mine. That's mine. Get off it. <laughs> Look at it. I thought it said Jagger. Yay, thanks for that letter, Lee. Bruce is in your head all of the time. I say you'd like that, though. I think I would. You know, I think I would, actually. Anyway, speaking of Bruce Dickinson, back to 1986 and his band Our Maiden. They released Wasted Years. I have an interesting story about this. Tell us. Yeah. Adrian Smith came up with this song, Wasted Years. He was planning on doing it for his solo album. And Steve Harris, he was just walking along and he, and, he, and he heard them jamming it out. And he says, oh, that sounds great, man. I'll have it for Maiden. And Adrian says, it's not like a Maiden song. And Steve, no, it sounds, sounds good. It's good enough for Maiden. And the rest is history. It ends up on the album. So I say the Harris is a stealing bastard. And a I bit of a glory hole. And I suppose it's... And a totalitarian taskmaster. Could be. Well, you'd have to With ask, a wobbly flappy bass. You'd have to ask Bruce. Or well, you have to ask Lee. Lee. To ask <laughs> Bruce. <laughs> Good enough.
take your stand But realize you're living in your golden years Tony, me and you. Yes, I did. We're not old. We miss you. We miss you forever. We're not old. We're, We're not old. Gold. Gold. We have enough experience, but not yet falling apart completely. <laughs> Woo! Yes, Iron Maiden from the 1986 album Somewhere in Time. That was uh, the single Wasted Years from Vinyl. It was on the vinyl. Yes. Keeping in with the spirit of 1986, a bit of analogue. Woo! Listen, that's it. We've come to the end of uh, tonight's Moshtalgia session. I hope you all enjoyed it. As I said earlier, whether you've come to the music new or you remember the music when it came out in 1986, you enjoyed all of our tracks. We include tracks from Megadeth, Europe, Run DMC, Iron Maiden, Bon Jovi, Judas Priest and Dave Lee Roth. And just in case you've got the memory of a goldfish, we had letters tonight from Nigel, Chris Wackham, Jerry Dixon, Ramsey's Longstaff, Peter, Jaggard, and Lee. Until next time, whatever you're doing, stay safe. This has been a Tony Wilson production. My name is Adrian Byrne. I bid you adieu. I hope you enjoyed our trip back to 1986. We'll see you all again soon for another year of memories. Good night.